hi and welcome to the last of this mini-series of podcasts. They've come about as a result of a Zoom meeting we had with some of our young couples where they asked great, great questions. Over these last four or five weeks we've been joined by a few of my friends, I do have some friends, Michael, Will, Morris and Stee Casey. Thank you guys for giving so much time and thought to these questions. We're very, very grateful to you and I'm sure it's been most helpful. I've got another couple of questions for you. You ready? Here's the first one. Paul says that in Christ there is neither male nor female. How do ladies serve in your different churches? And what about male-female roles in church? It'd be good to talk us through that one. Michael, would you give us your thoughts on that, please? My understanding is Paul is speaking there about there being neither male nor female in regards to being part of God's family and all the blessing that involves. There is no distinction. But then, as we look at the Bible, there are obviously clear distinctions in regards to responsibilities how male and female relate to one another. Back in the Garden of Eden, God brought to man a woman who was the same as him, a human, but different to him, a female. God did not bring Adam a mirror image, but a counterpoint. From the beginning, we see that there is an expectation for man to take the lead. That's built into God's created order. So at church, we have women serving at every level. And oh, how we would be the poorer without them as a church family. So we have them serving at every level other than serving with the responsibility of teaching the mixed congregation and leading the church. So when we think about relationships, husbands are called to servant-hearted, Christ-shaped leadership within the home with the responsibility of saying to his wife, and family, let's walk this way, let's be like this. The husband is primarily but not solely responsible for setting the spiritual tone of the house, primarily providing and protecting spiritually and physically for his wife and family. And wives are called to support their husbands in this responsibility. A wife should respectfully follow his lead. And of course, that doesn't mean without input and discussion, etc. And as couples do this, they put the gospel on display in their lives, showing any children and the watching world the relationship that Christ has with his church through their actions. So as people look on, especially children who can't yet formulate the gospel, they will be exposed to the gospel because they'll see it in practice. What a glorious thing for the good of the husband, for the good of the wife, for the good of children, for the good of the local church and society and the entire watching world. Let me commend you in being courageous and countercultural in seeking to live biblically in that way. Thank you, Michael. Will, what would you say? 
Okay, so this is uh, quite a difficult one, isn't it? Um, and often seen as uh, treading where angels fear to tread. But I think really the Bible is quite clear about this. Um, you mentioned what Paul says about in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek and all, all those things. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And that's absolutely true. That's fundamental to what the scripture teaches about humanity and, and humankind. Um, and both Paul, Jesus, others all go back to creation when they're justifying their teaching of, on relationships on men and women and what they do and how they should behave and things in church um and it goes back right down to back back to the creation account where god creates men and women uh, male and female um they are different in uh in many characteristics but but complementary partnership working together they fit together perfectly flesh of my flesh bone of my bones all made in the image of god together reflecting the image of god therefore um, you know, best seen, I guess, a marriage as well. That example of marriage is a great witness to the world why our marriages are much more than just a personal relationship, but it's much more than that. As Christians, we are demonstrating something of the unity uh, in uh, of even the Godhead, as does uh, as do as do the roles of men and women as we work together, uh, uh, um, complementary in our ministries in what we do. And so I think that that's they're the principles there. I think that's what Paul's trying to teach in the New Testament to a dysfunctional Ephesian church. Um, his teaching isn't just because it's for them at that moment. He, he, because he goes back to creation, it's fundamental to who we are as people. So um, I think you know others have tried to interpret these verses differently. Of course, they're contentious, and there are some parts of it that are perhaps more difficult than others. But ultimately. Um, there is no doubt that that's what Paul is teaching. I think to uh, to interpret these verses differently to that is kind of uh, having to jump through too many hoops, really, in many ways. And so, women then, the, uh, women and men, therefore, work together as partners within in, in the home, uh, in marriage, and and also in family, and also in the church. And um, um, so, the, the the dominant or the kind of primary spiritual leaders, teachers um in the church is 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 through men through men generally seen in the new testament and uh but that doesn't mean to say women can't teach women can teach in various situations it's not just in the sunday school and things either but in in situations where it's more appropriate for them to teach other women in particular is obviously a key one is very important in our churches um and teaching you know in on specific issues maybe house groups in all sorts of areas i know that's at many churches including ours that that's women would take a very prominent role in, in in there as well so there are um plenty of roles for women within the church to 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 speak i think some of the reason why we find this so difficult to talk about is because the prevailing winds of society again and thought process of society are are uh, that the bible and, and religion in general oppresses women and uh, of course, uh, there's the whole view of gender and sexuality that is out there as part of this critical theory that's there at the moment. That everything is seen through that lens, and women are seen as a as as a marginalised community in that sense. And one of the problems with that is, of course, it doesn't glory. You know, I think the Bible speaks of women, and Jesus in particular elevates women so much, particularly in the area of motherhood and 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 giving birth which is it is it is an amazing privilege but which is really neglected and uh, relegated really uh, as a kind of burden to bear in a, in the feminism movements that, that go through the uh, have gone through the years and uh, whilst there's an awful lot of things that you know awful lot of oppression that's taken place of women in the world which kind of fuels this 
distrust of the old ways of doing things, this idea of patriarchy and all of that. It, it, it's hard to argue in these, another one of these things which is hard to speak about uh, without standing on landmines, isn't it? But I think in the church we have to be open about this and we have to be bold and we have to be, uh, because it's what God's good design is and it goes right back to the heart of who we are and who we're created to be and therefore we can't duck this one and i think we have to address it uh, and you know traditional t- teaching in the church has been like that for years and years and years it's only in recent times that this has been challenged um uh, and and you know not everything about feminism is wrong because uh, women's kind of rights have been and women's kind of uh, have been women have been oppressed as as a result of the fall of course and all of these things are because we live in a sinful world but the way to deal with that isn't to go um it isn't through the root of feminism really it's through the root of going back to what we were made for and the bible tells us that and gives us a very clear way and if we live god's way and we live by god's good design as always and in everything else we'll find the way uh the way that women are loved and cared for and and men are appreciated and loved and cared for in the right sort of way in the right frameworks within marriage within the church if we live according to god's good design so i guess that's where i'd come from on that i don't know whether that's helpful uh, but I think we have to be bold about this and uh, and accept the way, accept what we've been born. And again, another thing that speaks into this, I guess, just briefly is kind of the whole gender reassignment thing. You know, uh, there's obviously people born with difficulties in terms of gender dysphoria today as well. But we, we, we haven't got the choice to reassign our gender that God has given us at our birth. Uh, we need to learn to live within that and live within the, the, the gender that God has given us, whether it's male or female. And because that's God's good design for us. That's how God made us. And if we if we as Christians are are um are worshipping God and we believe everything he does is good, then what he has given us is good as well. And I know that brings up issues and it will bring things that we pastorally we need to deal with within our churches. But uh, that's where we start from. We don't change the basics so that it makes life a bit easier for us because once we start on that, as we know, it becomes a slippery slope to all kinds of things. So we need to be biblical. We need to be honestly biblical and openly biblical with the way that we speak about these things. And uh, I think that's the way forward for us in churches. Great, Will. Morris, would you give us your comments, please? Okay. How do women serve in our church? Uh, we have a woman who is a minister on our staff, but she's not an elder. She doesn't preach. And um, we only have male elders. And uh, we have women deacons and women leading small groups. And one of the things we really try and put emphasis on is that when we do women's ministry, it is not just to do, quote unquote, what would be viewed as traditionally women's activities. Um, nothing against these things, but not, you know, just baking and craft. But we actually put on women's ministry events that educate and train women, that give them opportunities to take a prophetic stance in the world, uh, to actively, you know, serve as equal partners in the kingdom. And, you know, we, we want to communicate to women. We expect you to learn theologically as much as men um, and also to be involved in God's mission. Um, so and so we try and do a lot of getting women to teach women and disciple other women in that and especially one-to-one but also uh, teaching women so um, yeah the the role of elder we keep for men and the role of preaching to the gathered church congregation we keep for men Um, general principles to flag up to help I think we need we sort of want to sometimes keep that quiet about our churches I think 
And I just think the whole area of sex and gender is one in which our society is not happy or settled and is confused. And we have something really great to say that we shouldn't hide. So one of the great insights of feminism that's not been lost, seeing as we've lost the definition of what a man and a woman is, one of the great insights of feminism was there is a power imbalance between men and women because of biology. Basically because women can be sexually assaulted, sorry to be a graphic, and because women carry children as a means of reproduction, largely rests with women more than it does with men, uh, women are much more likely to be um, used wrongly and used as a commodity by men. And I think our view of men and women's rules basically acknowledges that. So it says men and women are different and men, because of biology, tend to have more power than women. And Christian men are called to lay down their lives for the sake of empowering women and creating a space where they are safe from that type of treatment. Um, I actually think that is amazingly prophetic to our culture, where one, we're very confused about what a man and woman are, but two, where we have many, many women who know from bitter and horrible experience that that is true. That men are more powerful and the normal way of things is that men abuse their power. And here we're saying, not men, you have to believe that men and women are just the same, which I think most women know is not true. But rather we're saying there is a power difference here. But men in our community before God, who will judge them, are called to lay down their lives to put women first. Um, and I think we need to be more in the front foot about that. And all our stuff about what rules men and women do in the church all stems from that. It's not arbitrary or, well, it just so happens only men could be elders. No, it's because men are called to lead in a way that puts others first, which is the job of an elder. Uh, the relationship that is healthy between men and women is modelled in our church structure. And I personally think uh, we need to get over being embarrassed about that and find good ways to express that to men and women who know from horrible experience that men tend to be the aggressive, violent ones using their power over women. And look, here's a community where that's not denied, but before God, they're told they have to lay that down for the sake of the other. So... Uh, that would be where I would start to steer a courageous course. Really helpful again, Morris. Thank you. And Steve, how would you speak into that question? I remember that my old pastor had a, a phrase. He said this, I've read and I believe it to be true that men and women are different. Now, whatever else you may think about that, it strikes me that it was pretty diplomatic. But in some ways, it, it points the points us to the uh, the difficulties that have been experienced down through the centuries of what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, and how do the two relate? Now, thankfully, the Bible tells us primarily that the places where uh, we have to work that out as part of our discipleship come in two places. Firstly, within the church, and secondly, within the home. I think it's really interesting that... Uh, Paul 
cites that there is in Christ neither male nor female, but that's not where the quote ends. He goes on to talk about lots of different groups. And it's in the context of a passage to say, not that everybody is the same and should be treated the same in general, but under the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a, a new gospel that is able to meet all those individual groups with equality, with grace, and give them an equal standing at the table, an equal place in the family. So what we have here is a picture of salvation whereby all people, whatever their background, whether, whatever, um, whether they're male or female, whether they were Jewish or not Jewish, whether they were high on the social pecking order or very low, they all have equal standing and equal access before the bar of God. Christ has brought them into the family. They're dearly loved, not on the basis of uh, those identifying features or their de whether they deserve it or not, but on the basis of his grace. That is, that's a wonderful leveller, and that's the place where we have to start when we start thinking about the different callings on different people. So it seems to me that when it comes to being in the church and being in the home, there are majority the same calling on men and women. Yet at the same time, there are just a few subtle, and I would call them, minor differences. Our problem is we get our hair all in a tiz about the minor differences when they're relatively minor. And in, by so doing, we don't focus on the fact that the call to all disciples is the dominant theme in the New Testament. The call to disciples to be remade in the image of Christ, to love, to be servant-hearted, uh, to give of your uh, best, to be generous. All of the many things that we're called to do, to know the Lord, to walk before him, are very, very common except a few distinct specific callings. And it seems to me that in the New Testament, what we have is a calling that if there are capable men, uh, it is their call and responsibility to pattern after the Lord Jesus in deeply servant-hearted leadership. Uh, that's that's typically why most of the churches that we would be connected with would have uh, ma male elderships. So it seems like the final and primary shepherding role has been called by God in the scriptures to rest with men and to teach them to be as much like Jesus as possible. Uh, now, I'm the father of six daughters. So what does that mean for my daughters? Does it mean they've got no place in the church? Far from it, because the vast majority of the call of the Bible to live as disciples of Jesus applies to absolutely every, everyone. Do I want them to be leaders? You bet I do. I train them to be uh, Christ-centred, servant-hearted leaders. I, I train them to handle the Bible. I train them to love on people, to offer hospitality, uh, to lead in Bible studies. I teach them to be exemplary patterns of who Jesus Christ is and to serve wholeheartedly, sacrificially, to do all the jobs that nobody wants wants to do and to do it humbly, not expecting any praise from men. It seems to me that that is common across the church churches. I think sometimes churches have done a disservice uh, to women by simply listing all the things that they perceive in their church women can't do rather than simply saying, hold on, the vast majority of the call of the Christian life uh, is the same for everybody. And so I think that's one of the things that we can practically uh, adjust when it comes to thinking about male-female roles in church. Likewise, there are callings in the family. It seems that within the family, 
Uh, men are called to offer servant-hearted leadership. Uh, I suppose you could describe it as the book stops with them. So who's going to be the first to apologise in an argument? It better be the fella. Who's going to be the last one to throw their weight around? It better be the fella. Uh, who's going to give their time to doing the hard work of teaching and pastoring their, their kids? It best be led by the fella. That doesn't mean that mum hasn't got anything to do. Uh, I have to admit that there are certain things that women are called to do within the family life, which I physiologically cannot do. Um, I cannot breastfeed. I cannot give birth. And that's not a matter of the fact that um, uh, my wife is superior to me. It's just a matter of calling. And I think in our family and within our church, we've worked really hard to try to understand that as best we possibly can. So what would I say is the summary? Uh, hopefully you haven't missed it. That in Christ, we all share a place at the table with equal love, mercy and grace. And in the vast majority of our discipleship and within the church and within the home, the same calls and responsibilities, honours and privileges are laid open um, to, to all, all of us. Yet at the same time, in a few tiny areas, there are specific calls given to men uh, and women within the church and within the home. And those things mustn't become the things that dominate because we'll miss the real things that dominate beyond that when we do that. But let me just finish by also giving one, <laughs> one quick thing that I've found helpful. And I know my wife and my girls have found helpful because there's that word that we all seem to get terrorised by when, it, when we say it. It's the word submission. Now, I was brought up in the mid-80s and there used to be wrestling programmes on TV. And the way that a wrestling match was won was by the biggest, fattest, smelliest, hairiest man managing to pin down and hold this reluctant opponent in some sort of vice-like grip squeezing the life out of them until they finally submitted. And I fear that somehow that has on occasion been a pattern within some churches or even within some homes. Can I tell you that's not the pattern at all? It's not the job of men to squeeze the life out of women until they submit. And it is not the job of women to resist the idea of submitting to a Christ-like, servant-hearted, male-appointed leader. In fact, our models for submission isn't the wrestling ring. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nobody has submitted to undeserving people as much as Jesus Christ did. That's what he did. He's our model of servant leadership, and he is model of gracious, God-trusting submission. And I think when we take those images and those pictures, the whole thing seems a little bit more obvious, winsome, dare I say beautiful. And so as you guys work that through, I hope, I hope you can do it with those pictures in mind. Brilliant. I hope that's helpful to you. Thank you guys for those answers. One last question. As those who are just a little bit older, just a little bit, Looking back at the journey you've been on, with many mistakes I'm sure and things you'd do differently, if there was just one thing you could say to young Christian couples wanting to honour Jesus, what would that be? Michael, would you like to go first? One thing I would say, as a couple, 
commit to carving out time each day so each of you has time to read the Bible and spend time speaking to God in prayer. Do whatever it takes, scheduling a time, looking after the kids, moving things around so that happens every day. This is absolutely critical if you want to grow and bring honour to God. Let me say something positive and then put it negatively. So positively, as we humbly come to God's word, recognising that we are spiritual beggars needing help, as we do this by his spirit, when we are dependent on him, he will, through his word, transform us and make us more like Jesus, giving us strength, food, wisdom, so that we know how to navigate life. Through his word, he makes us competent, equipped to live for his glory in his world. So negatively, if we are not doing that, we will drift along, we will look to other things to understand and interpret life. We will be full of ambiguity and confusion and we will lack the resources that we need to use our God-given life in a way that's pleasing to him. If you do not have that regular time, resolve dependent on God to do it. Turn that good intention into reality. And if you already do have that time, well, don't drift from it. It is oh so vitally important. Great, Michael. And Will? Gosh, this makes me feel quite old to be talking like this, but I guess it's true. I think, you know, over the years, I don't think I've learned anything that's, you know, um, jaw-droppingly new. I think for me, perspective is a huge issue making sure we see things and keep seeing things and applying what we know of god to every situation that we come across in life uh, what does where's god in this and he is in it because he's uh, the sovereignty of god has been a precious doctrine to me it's 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 a it's a glorious doctrine that he is in his providence has everything in his hands that the situations we're in in the moment are part of his plan and his purpose for us, however difficult or struggling, a struggle we may find them, and uh, however bruised and battered we may feel during them, we remember that God has uh, keeping that perspective that God is sovereign, God has a purpose, God has a plan, and the wonderful news is that we will make it, we'll get through it all, we'll get to the end of it. It may be difficult, uh, the road is rough and steep at times, but we keep our eyes on Jesus don't we um, and the other song that comes to mind is our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands because he loves us that's the third thing I'd say we need to know that we are loved we will mess up we will you know screw up in all kinds of ways uh, and but God is bigger than our mess ups he's bigger than our mistakes he's got he holds us in his hands because he loves us he's not just putting up with me he loves me and he wants me to be with him for eternity and he can't wait for that to happen and i think keeping that perspective of all those things has helped me through lots of difficult times through uh, through our lives and, and when we've not really known when uh, as, as husband and wife myself and dream we've not really known sometimes when we're which way up we are we remember that perspective and the purpose that god has that he will bring us through and uh, that he loves us despite our messings uh, our messes that we make uh, and we will get there one day thank you will morris what are your thoughts
I think there would be one thing, different things at different times. The thing that I'm thinking about loads at the moment is I'm now at the stage where lots of my peers and people a bit younger than me in our church are having to make big decisions like, do we move house? I've been offered a different job. Should we move to do it? Should we move closer to parents who are getting older? Where do we move regarding kids schooling, etc, etc, etc. And it strikes me that many people are trying to make those decisions in a vacuum. So they're just like, well, the wife thinks we should move nearer her parents and I think we should stay here because the schools were better and we're just fighting it out. And I think one thing that I'd encourage every family to do, well, parents to do, is to sit down, think about and actually write down and express what you think before God your family's job is in God's kingdom to serve God. If people are missionaries, they have a very strong sense of that and they explain it to their kids. So they basically think, we think our family's being called to go and translate the Bible uh, for this tribe in Papua New Guinea. And they will explain that to their kids. The reason we're leaving the home that you know and your grandparents and everything is because we think God wants us to do that. I just don't think that's for missionaries. I think every family needs to sit down and say, with the people we are and the gifts that we've got, with the advice of our church leaders, how is our family supposed to serve God? What do we think that is? Um, is it by giving 10 years of our life to serve parents, elderly parents who need our help? Is it this church family we're in and we basically say we're here for good? Is it one of us has a sort of way that um, particularly we think needs to serve God? So there's a couple in our church who um, the woman was a very talented, skilled academic in her field. And they basically said, we think our mission is to support her and make sure she can be a Christian in academia. And that means we might have to move. But they had a clear sense that's how the decision was being made. Sit down and work that out prayerfully and then use that to make decisions please don't make decisions on oh we fancy a bigger garden or the schools are better over here oh we're a bit bored where we are or i don't really like this job i'm in at the moment those are terrible way to, ways to make decisions work out how you as a family are most supposed to serve god and make decisions that way so if that was my um one bit of advice for the moment that's something i'm thinking about and that's what i'd pass on that's helpful, Morris. And Stee? One thing, dead simple. Glad-hearted dependence upon the grace of Jesus Christ. What do I, why do I say that? What do I mean? And this is, a, this is something that I, I, I battle to learn and embrace in my heart. Let me illustrate it one way by a story that doesn't affect couples in some ways. Um, quite regularly at our church, we'll appoint a trainee. Uh, somebody who will come for a year and and spend some time there, relatively young. They're always have in, in common anyway What this one thing. They want to honour Jesus. They want to grow. They want to be good stewards and effective. They want to give their life for him. Um, they want to do some great thing for the Lord. And, and as you're listening to this, I've no doubt there is something of that desire in many of you as you listen to that. But one of the things that I... I uh, I, I notice over the time is that by the time they've got to the end of the year, when they started at the beginning, they were saying, I want to do some great thing for the Lord. But by the end of the year, they're saying, I had no idea it would be like this. I've discovered that it wasn't so much what I did for him. It was the great thing that he wanted to do in me. And I would ask them more and say, well, what is that? 
Learn how useless I am, how sinful my heart is, how overly controlling, how lacking in wisdom I am, so that I have a posture, a reflex muscle of wanting to depend upon him more and more and more. And one of the things that I realised as I look back to my, even to my early 20s, sometimes my zeal for wanting to do a good thing for the Lord, um, which was right and proper and good, blinded me to how utterly dependent I am on his grace every day and how he will bring me through despite my foolishness, despite my lack of zeal, uh, despite my twisted and sinful heart. And he will bump me and he will bruise me along the way. But by the end of it, I will be more dependent and more likely on that great day when I stand before him, not to say stand there polishing uh, polishing my fingernails and, and sticking out my chest, but just simply going, wow, I'm only here because of grace. Let me give you an example into family life that's quite practical. A few months ago, one of the sort of little fire breaks in the lockdowns that we've had this year, uh, three of us as couples sat in somebody's backyard around a fire pit uh, with a nice glass of wine discussing matters. The thing that we had in common, well, there were several, number one, We'd all got teenagers who were nearly grown around the same kind of age. Number two, we had all got broken hearts. And what was interesting was that we commented how our parenting, our Christian parenting styles and approaches were so different. And yet it still seemed that each one of us was nursing the sorrows and a sense of regret and a sense of failing our kids and wishing that we could have done it differently. We all set out with with. Um, great intentions and, and big hopes in the way that we would lead our families and the way we would bring up our youngsters. And I'm not trying to make you negative as you listen to this, because the place where we ended was, wow, as we look back, how many ways it could have been worse, but for the grace of God. And the few bits that we do feel we've got right, we can only credit the Lord for. In other words, Our parenting experience over the last 15 or 20 years has left us with a greater dependency and appreciation for and a worship of the grace of God. So if you start that early, assume that any good thing that you have got or anything that you've seen with any clarity is because the Lord has been kind enough to give it to you. Resist the temptation of thinking that if you just re- read the right the right number of books and listen to all the right people, which is a really good thing to do, by the way, that in and of itself is a guarantee that you will be able to live the life and pr- produce the results that you want to. Have a simple, personal dependency on the living God and ask him to lead you day by day, forgive you of your sins, give you wisdom, give you grace when there is disappointments. Uh, lift you up and give you fortitude at times when you feel weak. If that becomes your posture, dependence on the day-by-day grace of Jesus Christ, uh, you'll probably save yourself a lot of tears. Because if that's not your posture, I assure you he's going to knock it out of you until you get there. So I suppose what I'm encouraging you to do is surrender quickly (laughs) and be dependent as early and as quickly as you can. And of course that will bring glory to the Lord as you do it. Guys, thank you again. I can't tell you how grateful we are. We're indebted to you. 
and all of you, thank you so much for joining us. I really hope what you've heard has been helpful to you.